Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I had the uh, opportunity uh, throughout the years to travel to Europe and to see all kinds of beautiful art and to uh, go to different chapels and just experience the beauty of European uh, artistic culture. One of my favorite artists is Michelangelo. And I just love his work. And he's known for David, the beautiful statue of David. He's known for the Sistine Chapel. And and again, just an amazing, amazing artist that he was. And one of the things that you may not know about Michelangelo is that when the Reformation was coming through Europe, uh, he was actually impacted by the teaching of the Reformers as they were preaching about who the Lord was. And he was impacted by this teaching of, of justification by grace through faith. And all throughout his life, as he writes about his life journey, he struggled with the Lord and understanding him and, and was wanting to know him and then kicked against him. And, and it was kind of this, this relationship that was back and forth. But he really had a wrestling and a desire to know the Lord. In his journey, he, he decided, uh, as he was being asked to do all kinds of art, that, that his artwork was becoming his Lord and his King. Because so much was dependent upon him finishing these beautiful pieces of art, and the expectations were high. And so it became his Lord and King, but he started to realize, my hope can't be in what people think about me and my artwork My hope can only be found in divine love by the one who embraced us by opening his arms on the cross. He continued to search after God and want to know God and want to learn about him and be embraced by him. Started to realize his only hope came from that. And as he approached his death there was sort of a spiritual rebirth that took place in his life. And this this piece of art that we see behind us, the deposition of Christ, this was done in his later years. He worked seven years on this piece of of art. And this is actually of of, uh, a piece of art, and the, the main figure in there is obviously Jesus in the center, but the man in the back is meant to be Nicodemus. And Michelangelo sculpted his face on the body of Nicodemus. Nicodemus, the one who was born again. Nicodemus, the one who came when Christ was buried in the tomb and took his body with Joseph of Arimathea. He worked seven years thinking this piece through. And it's in the Duomo Museum in Florence today. And as he was sculpting this, I think the grand master, the grand sculptor, our Lord, our God, began to chip away at Michelangelo's heart. Began to reveal himself to Michelangelo. I can only imagine Michelangelo as he's, as he's creating David, just thinking through all of David's life, how he is the king of Israel, and out of his lineage will come the Messiah. I can only imagine, I can only imagine as he's painting the Sistine Chapel, and as God is revealing himself to him, as he's painting the creation and that 
that beautiful painting as he's reaching out his finger unto man in creation. I wonder if Michelangelo is thinking, God is reaching out to me. God, in his amazing love for me, is reaching out. And as he came to the end of his life, in wondering about new life in Christ, new creation, he wrote this poetry. And he wrote a lot of poetry, by the way. I would encourage you to look up Michelangelo's poetry. It's profound. And it's all the journey of his life. But here's a poem in the last of his days. Extend to me, my Lord, that chain to which every heavenly gift is tied, namely faith, to which I keenly hold. God continued to pursue Michelangelo. And I think Michelangelo humbly reached out to God. Only God knows his heart, for sure. But Michelangelo and his poetry sure seemed to indicate that God was revealing himself to him and that he was falling in love with this beautiful God as he created these beautiful pieces of art. My prayer this morning for us is that we'll see this beautiful God that Michelangelo painted and sculpted. I pray this morning as we come into 1 Kings 20 that God will reveal himself to us, that he is the God of the hills and of the valleys. He is God over all. He is a God who is full of amazing grace, a God who works and is unlimited in his power to change lives. He is a God who is sovereign over all. May we see our Lord, our God, this morning more clearly as we go through this chapter. Let's pray for this. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your good word, and I pray this morning, as you continue to pursue Michelangelo with your love, I pray that you will reveal yourself and your amazing grace and love to us this morning. Would we hear your voice? Would we know you more this morning, that you are a powerful God, that you are sovereign, that you are in control of all that's going on right now in this crazy world and in our lives? Would we find rest in you this morning? Would we learn to trust you more this morning as we, as we know you through your scriptures more? Would your Holy Spirit just pour out upon this room, pour out upon those families at home who are watching? And Father, we want to see you more and we want to know you. In your beautiful and precious name, Jesus, amen. Well, let me give you a little background on, on where we're at with, with Ahab as we enter into chapter 20. Ahab is this awful king, the most evil king. Every time we say his name, we, there probably should be a boo. He's just bad guy. He really is evil. He wants nothing to do with God. The people of Israel are far away from God. They're worshiping the Baals. And yet the Lord, in his love and mercy, is still pursuing them. The true king, the true God, is going to reveal himself more and more to Ahab and to the people of Israel. And he's going to show up in powerful ways. And he keeps doing that. He's a God who is a God of covenant. He's a God who is a God of amazing grace. 
And I love in this chapter how he shows up. But he's always calling his people to repent and to return, to come back to him. So many times in our faith journey, don't we, don't we end up just kind of wandering off and we don't even know how we got there sometimes. And so God calls us back. Repent of where you're headed there. Come to me. I love you. I offer grace and life and relationship. I want you to know me. I want you to experience my love. And then I want you to love me. This is the relationship God calls us into. And he's doing it with evil Ahab. And he's doing it with the people of Israel. He keeps showing himself and extending his amazing grace. Repent, return. Ben-Hadad is is the king of Syria, modern-day Syria. And he is going to come with 32 kings, and they're going to come against the northern kingdom. And they're going to go to battle. And Ben-Hadad says to the people of Israel, and he throws out all these threats and taunts that's going to lead to war. He says, I'm going to take over your land. And so in verse 4, Ahab says, oh, well, go ahead. Take everything you want. It's as you wish, evil king. Take it. Take it from me. You know what? Here's what happens. When we open the door to sin, which I would say Ben-Hadad represents sin, when we open the door to sin, and we just say, hey, let's just do whatever it does. Go ahead, have your way. It always takes us further and further than we ever want to go. Because next thing you know, Ben-Hadad says, oh, you're going to give me all that I asked for? Well, then I want more. I want more. And that's what sin does. We let it in, and then it easily entangles us. And next thing you know, we are stuck. Don't open the door to sin. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can walk away, we can resist, we can flee the enemy. He lets them in, says, go ahead, take whatever you want. And you go, how in the world could this happen? He's a guy who just experienced God on Mount Carmel, God came down in consuming fire. God came and and with fire licked up the altar, the offering, the bull. And everybody cried out, Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. How could he let this happen? He just experienced this with the Lord Almighty on Mount Carmel. And now he has no faith. He's blind. His hard heart as he faces God. And as he faces Ben-Hadad, he is. He's blind. He's not allowing the amazing grace of God to penetrate his heart. My friend Jim reminded me of Stephen Hawking, who, although he had this incredible knowledge of the universe and, and how splendid and wonderful and how it was created, that he said this in 1988. He said, you know what? When you look at the vast size of the universe and how accidental and insignificant human life is, it seems most implausible that there is a God. 
He couldn't explain black holes. He couldn't explain so much of the universe. But he sure could say, there is no God. And so Ahab, because of his lack of belief, he became a lapdog to the Syrians. He began to do whatever they wanted to say and ask of them. He somehow gets just enough courage. The second time when he comes in and says, Ben-Hadad says, I'm going to go room by room. He says, no, no, that's a little too far. A little too far. So they get in this argument back and forth. And Ben-Hadad says, well, listen, since you're resisting me this time, I'm going to bring all of my soldiers in. We're going to wipe you out. We're going to wipe you off the face of the planet. There won't even be enough dust for me to, to take home a holy, a holy land souvenir. It's, you're going to be done. Ahab says to King Hadad, hey, basically, don't count your chickens before they hatch. So there's this trash talking going on. Don't you say you're going to come climb. That hasn't happened yet. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. And here's what we see in verse 13. Look at this. And behold, a prophet came near to Ahab, king of Israel, and he said, Thus says the Lord, Have you seen this great multitude? That's 100,000 people out there. Behold, I will give it into your hand this day, and you shall know that I am the Lord God. And you shall know that I am the Lord Why in the world, why in the world would God give victory to evil Ahab who wanted nothing to do with him? Why in the world would God do that? Give it to those who are righteous and following you. Don't give victory to this evil king who could care less about you. Why does he do it? I want you to know that I am the Lord God. I want you to know that I am Yahweh. I am a covenant God. And I have made my covenant with you, my people. I will be your God. You shall be my people. That's who I am. And you will know me. And it will be revealed Because this battle you're going into, there's no way you're going to win this battle without me. And I will show myself to you. What amazing grace. And God extends that to you and me. I know we think we're not corrupt and evil, but boy, the Lord knows our hearts. Listen to Ezekiel 33, an amazing grace of God. The people of Israel are crying out, Our offenses and sins, they weigh us down and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? Why do you keep living in your sin that is nothing but death when all the time I'm reaching out my hand to you and inviting you into relationship with me that you might have life, that you might be saved, 
that your sins would be washed clean. Do you see Jesus? Do you see the reason why God needed to send his beloved son to die? To take the payment for our sin? And then to rise again, conquering sin and death? Do you see Jesus? Even towards Ahab, the weight of sin is the burden. It's crushing us like the people of Israel cried out in Ezekiel. We need a Savior. We have a God who is so patient with us. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some have understood slowness. Instead, He is patient with you. He's not wanting anyone, not even Ahab, not even me, He's not wanting anyone to perish. Think of the most wicked person you can think of. God doesn't want them to perish. Instead, he wants everyone to come into repentance. Basically, he wants them to come into relationship with him and recognize that he is a God who saves, that he is a God full of amazing grace. That's God's heart. I want you to know who I am. That's what Jesus prays in John 17. Father, glorify the Son so that I can glorify you. I want you to be revealed. I want, as you're working through me, to offer eternal life. And this is eternal life, Jesus says, that they may know you, God, the one and only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's amazing grace. And that's extended to every one of you. I don't care how wicked you think you are. I don't care the stuff that you've done. God can cover it with his amazing grace. He paid the price on the cross for that. He is a God of amazing amazing grace, and he is a God of unlimited power. Ahab asked this question. Well, wait a second. You're sending me into battle. And you're telling me I'm going to have victory. How in the world is this going to happen? Because there's no way. There's 100,000 of their soldiers. And we have nobody, really. And he says, well, listen, here's what I'm going to do so that you will know that I'm God. I'm going to take 232 of your least trained guys. We're going to send them in first. And then I'm going to have another 7,000 follow-up afterwards. Not that I need them. Probably just the 232 is all I need. But they're going to lead the battle. They're going to have victory. Wait a second. There is 100,000 soldiers for Syria. And you want us to go to battle against them. What is God doing in that? God is revealing himself as a God of unlimited power that the victory belongs to God and God alone. And it will become so clear because truly there is no way, no way that you would have victory in your own strength. And God wants you to know that as you face impossible situations, as you think of things that are just too hard, 
that there's no way this is going to work out. And God is saying, I'm sorry, you serve a God of unlimited, unlimited power and amazing grace who walks with you and he'll take you through this situation. And we will have victory in him as we depend upon him. It reminds me of Gideon and the 300, first in the Amalekites. Hey, you got way too many guys going in against the Amalekites who are thousands and thousands. So the guys who lap the water like a dog, those are the ones I'll take. 300, that's good enough for me. God will be glorified. He will be known. Not the soldiers, God. Not the king, God. And he reveals himself. You see, with God, all things are possible. He is unhindered in his power in his power to save, in his power to deliver, in his power to give life. God does amazing miracles all over the world with amazing power to reveal himself. Watchman Nee, I love, he has a book called Sit, Walk, Stand. And he tells a story in that. He is a, he's a Chinese uh, Christian missionary and evangelist and teacher. And Watchman Nee in his book, he writes a story just before World War II where he took seven evangelists and they went off to a small island just off of mainland China. And they went there and they, there were seven that were veterans and there was one that was just a young evangelist missionary, Evangelist Wu. And so they went to the island and young Evangelist Wu, he gets out and he just starts preaching to the villagers about the love of Jesus, about how they can have salvation. And for a week long, he's preaching with fervor and and, and he's looking out at his people, and they're just blank. And he's like, why is it that you don't believe? Why is it that you don't respond to this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ? You can have life. And they responded back and said, because we serve another God, Taewang. He's our God. That's who we serve. We don't believe in your God because we have another. Well, why is it that you place your face, your faith in Taewong? Well, we have received revelation from Taewong every year to worship him in a procession, every year. And he tells us that on the day that I have set forth, that the skies will be clear, there will not be a cloud in the sky, there will be no rain so that you can come and worship me. And so young evangelist Wu said, well, when? When is the next procession? And the villager said, it is on January 11th at 8 a.m. in the morning we begin to worship Taewong in our procession. And young evangelist Wu says this, on that day, I promise you, the Lord God will make it rain in this village. And they were offended. They said, stop preaching. He will make it rain. And so the young villager said, if it rains that day, then the Lord is God. And Taewong is not. It was just like Elijah on Mount Carmel. And so young, young evangelist Wu goes back to the other, other evangelists who've been doing this a long time. And they say, guess what? I just told the villagers that it is going to rain on, on this day, on January 11th, 
at 8 in the morning. The villagers told me it hasn't rained in 286 years whenever they do the procession. And that's why they have faith in Taiwan. But I told them it is going to rain. And the other evangelists are just like, are you nuts? They didn't say that. The other evangelists are like, my goodness. We feel that God has put that on your heart to say to the people, and so we will preach this gospel, and we will say that God will show up, and so we will go into confident prayer. And so they started to pray fervently. On the morning of January 11th at 7 in the morning, Watchman Nee walked downstairs. He opened up the windows. It wasn't a cloud in the sky, blue, blue sky, clear as could be. And he started to make breakfast and have breakfast with the other missionaries and said, we need the help of God. It doesn't seem like there's any clouds in the sky, so let us pray and present this to God. And so they started to pray and pray. They weren't in the village. They were at their home. And so they started to pray, and it was about five minutes to eight o'clock, and they were trusting the Lord. And as they're praying, there became a little pitter-patter on the tile roof. And as they prayed more, it became a solid rain. And then at 8.05, it became a downpour. And it flooded the streets. It came all the way up to the three stairs of their house. The rain was pouring down and flooded the village. They were in their house. And so they asked, what happened in the village? What took place there? And they said, the report came back. The young men of the village said, Tay Wong is not God. The Lord is God. Like the evangelist said, Tay Wong is held back by the rain. The older villagers said, no way, we're going to go in and we're going to have this processional, even though it was downpouring. So they brought Tay Wong out, this idol, put him on the litter. They carried him out into the village to start the processional. They slipped on the walkway. Tay Wong falls off the litter. The jaw is broken in his left arm. So the older elders of the village, they go, let's take him back in. And they fix him back up and they bring him back out, all duct taped and everything up. This is our God. And they go to bring him back out and worship Tay Wong. Then the rain became a deluge. And the mud was so thick, they literally could not walk. Our God is a God of unlimited power. Our God shows up. Our God will reveal himself. And the hearts of that village that day were transformed under the God, the true King, Yahweh, I Am, and coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's how God works We long, we want to see powerful miracles like that. But I'm telling you, God is doing it all over the place. And God is showing up and he's wanting to make himself known. And he did it in this village and he does it in our hearts. 
And he longs for relationship with us. You see, the evangelists didn't get the praise. God alone got the praise. And that's what it's meant to be. God is the one who gets all the recognition. Hallowed be your name, O God. Hallowed be your name. Father, that you would be known and that we would be image bearers of that. That as we're living our life for Christ, that people are seeing, this God that you're following, I want to know him. Hallowed be your name. That's our prayer. God, you have all the glory. And he delivers those with very limited resources so that he would be known. Our God is a God of amazing grace. Our God is a God of unlimited power. He is a God who is sovereign over all. Listen to verse 28. And the man of God came near and said to the king of Israel, Thus says the Lord, Because the Syrians have said, The Lord is a God of the hills, but he's not a God of the valleys. Therefore, I will give all this great multitude, again, another 100,000, into your hand, And you shall know, what's the purpose? You shall know that I am the Lord. God is going to reveal himself again. You see, what happened first time around, the Syrians were saying with Ben-Hadah, listen, the only reason they had victory is because we fought the battle in the hills. He's only a God of the hills. The chariots couldn't work as well in the hills. If we get them down into the valleys, then for sure, here's our game plan, we will have success against this powerful God. Worst military plan ever. We will have victory over their God, the enemy. Only if we get them into the valleys. That's where he doesn't have any strength. Basically, they're saying, that God is limited. And I think for you and me, that's always one of those questions. Is our God limited? Is our God limited in our life? Is our God too small? When people look at the God that we worship, do they see a God that is all-powerful and sovereign, or do they see a God that's limited? How do we view him, truly? We often view him as a limited deity. We, we become children of a lesser God. I appreciate Phil Riken's comments about this. He says, when we think of God as limited, we think he's, or just of the hills, we think He's only a God of prosperity. He's only a God who works in the good times, but not the bad. He's only a God of the ups, but not a God of the downs. He's a God of victory, but he's not a God of the cross. He's close to us in days of joy, but he seems to vanish in suffering. That's limiting our God. We limit God by saying he's only a God of love. He's only a God of mercy, but not of wrath. He's a God who forgives sins, but he doesn't punish them. We limit God by saying, well, our religion is a private matter. It only belongs to us. He's a God of Sundays, but not of Monday through Friday, and especially not of Saturdays. What did you guys do last night? Our God only functions in these certain areas. He's a God who we worship in the pew, but not in the office. He's a God who lives in my heart, 
but that's all he is. He doesn't rule the world. He isn't sovereign over all the world. We limit God. We limit God by saying, well, he's just a God of eternity, not a God of eternal salvation uh, just for now. doesn't give us the strength to actually live it out. We're saved by grace, but then we don't live by grace. We limit our God. These gods are the gods only of the hills. And God is wanting to show himself as the God of the hills and the valleys. I'm a God who is everywhere. I'm a God who is all-powerful. I am a God who will give victory so that you know that I am. Do you trust the Lord that way? Do you believe that? You see, I will give you this victory in the valley because God is unlimited. Geography will not hold him back. Why? He created the geography. And we think somehow he's going to be held back. The Israelites should have known who their God was. He ascended on Mount Carmel, brought down his fire on the mountain, and then he went into the valley with Elijah and Kareth Ravine, and he fed Elijah and gave him water. And then in the valley in Zarephath, he went to the widow and took care of her needs and raised her dead son to life. God's a God of the hills, and he's a God of the valleys. He's sovereign over all, and he is powerful over all. Things seem impossible to us. It's not impossible with God. He is unlimited. He is unbound. He is all-powerful. He is everywhere. He is sovereign. That is our God. The God of the hills and the valleys. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you, Lord, who made the heaven and the earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. I lift my eyes to the hills. You are there. And Psalm 23 reminds us, even though I walk through the valley, this dark shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. I'm the God of the hills and the valleys. I'm especially the God of the valleys when you're going through dark times. I am so present with you in your suffering and in your trial. I've gone through it all, and I go through it with you. That's who our God is. And when we start to recognize who our God is, full of amazing grace, God of unlimited power, a God who is sovereign over all, it gives us hope, doesn't it? It should. It should give you an amazing hope that we can pray in faith for God to change the hard heart of your son or child your family member, that you're longing for them to know Jesus. Just like he reached out to Michelangelo, just like he continued to reach out to Ahab, those who are evil and don't want anything to do with God, God can penetrate that hard heart. That gives us hope. It gives us victory over sin. We're no longer held in bondage. I loved how Christopher Yuan was teaching us this whole week he was here. He wrote this wonderful book out of a far country, A Gay Son's Journey to God, 
a broken mother's search for hope. And he talked about, he just got got caught up in this lifestyle and these drugs took over his life and sex took over his life and he was just hurting and in despair. And in the middle of all that, in that darkness of not wanting anything to do with God, God first got a hold of his mother, transformed his mother for the kingdom. She became a prayer warrior like Elijah. She prayed for her son who was stuck in sin and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit broke through into Christopher's life. And he's never been the same. And now, transformed child of God, he preaches about the power and the love and the amazing grace of God and how he delivers us and delivers us into righteousness. And his next book is A Holy Sexuality. He delivers us into purity and life before the Lord. I encourage you to pick up those books. You see, God defeats all that. When we confess our sin, we can have the hope. Guess what? Our God is actually the one who can forgive our sin. Our God is the one who actually saves us and restores us and renews us. He's a God of unlimited power. And so he heals broken relationships. He steps into that which is so dark, and you go, how will this relationship ever be mended? How will this marriage ever be restored? It's dead. Well, you know what? God is in the business of raising dead things. That's our God. And so he does that. And so through the power of Christ, as we live through him, things that are impossible, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. When God is sovereign over all, we don't need to be unsettled in 2020, do we? 2020, this amazing curse word these days. We don't need to be thrown. We don't need to be frenzied about all that's going on, to think that God actually wants to reveal himself more and more in 2020, that that's what he's actually doing. He's showing himself to you during this crazy year like no other. Unprecedented. That's the word of the year. Our God's unprecedented. There's no God like him. And he's stepping into the middle We don't need to be frazzled or tense over the upcoming election. And oh my gosh, what's going to happen to our country? And God is saying, I'm sorry, it's my country. I'm the true king. Stop being worried about what's happening to America as though it's the only place on the earth. I'm sovereign over all. Don't fret. Don't live in worry. Don't get stressed out. I've got this. And I'm revealing myself more and more unto you. He is the God over coronavirus. He is the God over crazy elections. He is a God over all. Full of amazing grace. Calling us back unto himself with his unlimited power to change our hearts. That we would come to know him. That we would come to see his face. And know that we worship a God of the hills and the valleys. Let's pray.